Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Law Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack, founder, CEO, and managing partner at Vandenack Weaver LLC. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about closely held businesses, tax, trusts, and estates, legal technology, law firm leadership, and well-being for lawyers. Before we start today's episode, I want to thank our sponsor. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of interactive legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. On today's episode, my guest is Vanessa Kanega. Vanessa is CEO of Interactive Legal. Vanessa and I are fellow yogis, and we're going to talk about the concept of both and, and how that plays into estate planning issues. Welcome, Vanessa. I really appreciate you being here today. Well, thanks, Mary. I appreciate the chance to be here, and always good to talk to you. Well, I loved your email when we started talking about doing this podcast, and you sent me this concept of integrating a concept referred to as both and into a conversation about estate planning. So I'm going to let you describe what that means and what your thoughts were, but I just have to tell you, I was like, wow, that is such a phenomenal idea. (laughs) Well, good. I was really pleased that you didn't think it just was completely out of the blue and off the wall. So I appreciate you being open to it. Um, Well, so like you mentioned, you know, we're both fellow yogis. Um, I've been practicing yoga for several years and it's, an important part of my life. And this is a concept that I came to through yoga, this concept of the both and. And I just want to say at the outset, you know, I just want to acknowledge that this is going to be somewhat of an amateur definition. So for people listening who've studied Eastern philosophy or like Mary, I know you've actually taught yoga. There are people certainly who are, know this concept on a much deeper level than I do. But my understanding is it's basically this idea that comes from Eastern philosophy of uh, taking two principles or concepts that seem maybe contradictory and acknowledging or recognizing that we can actually hold both of them at the same time. And in doing that and recognizing that you find, you know, depending on the circumstance, peace, power, you know, knowledge, Um, and, and just sort of getting away from the idea that everything is dualistic and everything is either, or that sometimes things can be both, you can have both and, and so in yoga, it comes into play when, you know, you're holding a pose and you want to find 
strength, you need to be strong and stable, but you also want to find peace and be relaxed. Or your breathing is controlled, but it's flowing evenly. Um, you know, you're trying to clear your mind, but you're, it's also important to be focused on your practice. And so it's this concept of these things that we think of not being able to have at the same time, like being really strong and, and sort of buckling down, um, you know, finding that, that position of strength but you can also be relaxed and calm at the same time. We tend to think of those as opposites, but you can actually have both at the same time. And so I have to admit that I appreciate your comment that I probably know more about this than you, but when you presented the both and concept, I'm like, I really have to think about it because I actually hadn't heard it couched exactly in those terms. So I spent some time kind of taking a look at it reading about it because I have, you know, been teaching yoga for, well, 20 plus years, actually. And what I kind of, and I'm just sharing this because I thought, well, others may have also heard it in a different way. And I think it's a little similar to a concept that we talk about in yoga sometime, which is the yin and the yang, which is mm-hmm. also kind of strength and strength. And so like in a particular yoga flow, you might do a yin pose, which is actually focused on stretching, but also the hold, which requires a lot of strength. And so you're really doing like two things at once there and through most of the yoga practice. So that's just kind of the way I was translating if there was anyone else who didn't. Do you think that's a fair... Yeah, um, no, and I appreciate that because I actually, I did a little bit more research on it myself and a lot of the sources that I found um, referred to it as it's kind of a similar concept to the yin and the yang. So I think that's absolutely right. I think that's, I think it's all kind of one, one concept. But so let's talk about how that concept can actually apply to estate planners. Yeah, well, and as I researched this, I realized I'm definitely not the first person who has applied this in a professional setting. Um, (laughs) There were lots of articles that I came across about it, but not specifically relating to estate planning. And it really started to occur to me that um, there are lots of ways that we can apply this just in our professional lives. You know, I think that just the practice of estate planning um, has this concept in it that you kind of have to be, you know, focused on being efficient for your clients, but you know, you're also trying to build time or, you know, there's also a lot that goes into just the legal practice where you kind of have this concept, but where it comes up, particularly in estate planning, I see this all the time um, through my work at Interactive Legal. We have a subscriber forum and I see um, people making comments on there and they're really understandably struggling with this idea of, okay, my client wants to do this, but this is not what I would necessarily recommend from a tax perspective, from a best practice perspective, from a creditor perspective. And how do I manage this? How do I, how do I, do I do what my client wants or do I do what my training and my, you know, legal knowledge is telling me I should do for them. And there are so many circumstances in which, I think the the solution is to not see it as an either or, right? To not see it as a problem that has to be solved, but rather to realize you can have both what the client wants and what you think is the best practice or what you would recommend. Um, And not necessarily always, but I think there are a lot of circumstances in which depending on how you 
think about things, you can have that both and. And so not thinking of it as a matter of, am I going to do this or am I going to do that? Am I going to do what the client wants or am I going to do what I would recommend? If you try to think of it more holistically, like how, you know, is it possible that I can really do both? I think that really um, could be a useful way of thinking, thinking about things. And, and the way I kind of implement that is I call it objective-based planning. And so when I meet with the clients, I actually create a document after the first meeting that says, has, it starts off with client objectives, making it clear that it's the client objectives. And I actually spend time discussing them with that at the meeting because some of those like, hey, I'm a tax person first and foremost. So, but what I learned and got humbled by was that some of my clients are all about tax. Some could care less. Some care most about the disabled child. And then you might have a spouse couple that you're doing planning for, and all one of them cares about is tax savings, and all the other one cares about is providing the special needs mm-hmm. child. So then, but I always like, lay, I always layer those into my recommendations. And so then I always do, okay, here's what I heard you say. And then I want them to see that because that sometimes I get this call like, oh no, I didn't say that. Or sometimes I'm like, you nailed that. And so this is really important because my recommendations, which are also going to incorporate asset protection, tax planning, income tax and estate tax planning, right? Each of those. But I want to make sure that those objectives, and that's where I think that both end comes Mm -hmm. in, is that if you get really clear about their objectives and you can still present approaches, I've had very few clients then that we can't come to a place that I feel comfortable with what they're doing. Right. I, well, that's a really interesting idea. And I think that's, I mean, that, that's just a fabulous idea to, to have in your practice because then everybody's on the same page. I mean, just for very practical purposes, I think that's great, but I, I completely agree. I think that's exactly what we're talking about because one of the ways in which I think this concept can help is to think, okay, what the client is telling you may not be ultimately what the client wants, right? So one of the areas in which, um, and I know I had mentioned this, one of the areas in which I think this comes up a lot is, I think a good example is in the area of selecting trustees. So, you know, client comes in, you've decided to create a trust for them. And the next question or one of the questions is who's going to be the trustee, now, this should be somebody you trust, you know, to manage your money, to make distributions to family members. It should be somebody you trust implicitly, um, but it really shouldn't be any of the beneficiaries of the trust, right? And the client's going to go, well, but I mean, those are the people that I trust. The people I want to benefit are the people that I trust the most. Um, but of course, we know from a tax perspective, from a creditor perspective, that's not always a good idea to have a beneficiary serving as trustee. Um, and so I think if you start to look at it, not as, okay, client wants kids to serve as trustee, but 
I, you know, I know that we need to limit their tax exposure, limit their credit exposure, creditor exposure. If you start to look at it as, well, what does the client really want? Does the client really want the kid to serve as trustee or is it really more important for the client to have a plan um, that's going to be solid from an estate gift tax perspective or from a creditor perspective? And I think the way what you're describing, if you really lay out, okay, this is what you said, but here are some concerns that I have, you know, ultimately you can get to, oh, well, yeah, I know I said that, but that's not really what's important to me, right? It's much more important that we don't have tax exposure or maybe, no, that really is what I want. And so I don't, I don't care about these other things as much or they're not as important to me. So I think that's one way to kind of get into this both and concept is by sort of reframing the concept of what does the client want, right? And it's a way to kind of look at, well, what are they really coming to you for? And once you do that, I think it becomes clearer that you can both do what they want and put together the best plan because you're sort of unifying those two principles, right? By getting to what they really want and what's really important to them. And, you know, then you can craft the best plan around that. And, you know, another both and type of concept in that area is if they continue to feel really strongly that they want children as a trustee. And sometimes that comes up because we are all tending to draft longer term trusts for asset protection purposes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things is you see like the rules coming out, the rulings coming out of Massachusetts where they're awarding trust, third party trust interests. And so I explain that type of exposure. But at the end of the day, if they're just determined, one of the great things about the whole directed trust type structure is like, well, can we do this? Can we at least, Mm -hmm. you know, name a co-trustee with your child? So now we have both and. And then limit the powers of the child trustee in a way or the beneficiary trustee, because often it's not a child these days, right? But limit the powers of the beneficiary trustee in the way that we're not going to cross any lines, but then you feel like they have a more direct involvement. And also don't let that beneficiary be the one who has any power to remove the trustees. That's where you create a trust protector or trust protector committee. Right. Right. That's right. Well, and I think you're right. The, The concept that the more modern concept like trust directors allow this kind of flexibility where you can have, you can find a way for those important people to still be involved and maybe they're not serving in that trustee role or they're serving as trustee, but you have somebody else directing the areas that could potentially be problematic from a creditor or tax perspective. Or um, what you mentioned, we actually have this in the interactive legal documents is um, we restrict um, the powers that any interested person serving a trustee can have. So you can have that child or that beneficiary in there serving as trustee, but they're not going to be able to make distributions other than for health, education, maintenance, and support. They're not going to be able to um, remove and replace a related or subordinate party as trustee. You know, there's a whole litany of things that are restricted in our documents for that reason, but it gives you that both and. You can have the child still involved, still or beneficiary involved, still serving as trustee, helping to make investment decisions, manage the assets, making limited distributions, but you're also providing that additional layer of protection. So I think that's right. It's another way of looking at it is just, okay, 
it, that's sort of more like finding a balance, right? Finding a happy medium. But is there a way that you can do that so that you can have both what the client is saying they want and that kind of layer of protection that you as the advisor would recommend? And I just have to make a comment on the interactive legal documents. And one of the things I love about them in terms of that both and approach is that, um, and I, you know, I used to be one of the lawyers who had to draft all of my own documents. And, but so as we went into the directed trust role and you and I have had a a conversation where to do some work and conversations on Mm -hmm. fiduciary and non-fiduciary roles and that how to have not to muck those up and they vary a little bit by state. Right. But what I like is just a simple way those documents say, so we start naming various fiduciary roles, but then we break out, here's the things that apply to the fiduciaries, here's the exceptions, here's the stuff that applies to the trust advisors in certain cases, as opposed to I used to put everything that applied to trustee one in that, and then everything that applied to trustee two, and Mm -hmm. my documents got to be hugely long, so I thought, well... Okay, that was like really, really simple and obvious. <laughs> and I felt like I should have figured that out all in myself, but I didn't. But one thing I want to go. Well, yeah. Believe me, it's hard fought through through experience that we <laughs> we figure out easier and simpler ways to do these things. <laughs> but I do love as we work in different states, it's every time I talk to a trust company, a different state, they still want to make some changes. So I've learned not to send them signed documents, but to let them review in, a, in right. advance. Right. Every once in a while, I'm like, that, you know, if we're in a deadline, well, I just have to get this signed. So hopefully we'll work on a corrective process, give myself powers to change certain things as trust protector or something. <laughs> we are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors, Carson Private Client. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Okay, let's continue our episode. So one thing, though, when we're talking about this both-and concept, there's sometimes that you can't really do a both-and, and you had mentioned the concept of, hey, there are some lines that you can never cross. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's just to be clear. I mean, of course, we all know as the attorneys, you know, you're, you can't advise clients to do something illegal, of course. Um, but there are some bright line rules, like you don't want to create something invalid, like that's going to um, violate the rule against perpetuities. Um, you know, there are some things that are just those those hard lines. So um, I think I had mentioned to you in one of my emails, I think the the reason that this kind of both and this sort of unifying concept is maybe a little bit difficult for us to grasp as some of us to grasp as attorneys is because the law is, I think, a very dualistic system, right? We're trained to think something is valid or invalid or legal or illegal, but 
and and that's true in a lot of ways, and that's sort of the way our brains work as as attorneys. I think that's why we gravitate towards the laws because we have that. There are some of us who have that very kind of dualistic mindset, and we really kind of get into that finding that bright line. But you know, as attorneys, and especially this is why I think especially it's important in estate planning. You're not always just advising on what's valid under the law, what's legal, what what are the lines that you can't cross under the law? You're also acting as counselor, right? So um, it's not just a matter of what can you do within the bounds of the law, but what should you do to best serve the client's goals um, in terms of what they want for the family and how to dispose of their assets. And I think it's in that counseling role that this concept of the both and really comes in. And it's not so much, you know, finding, pushing the bounds of the law. That's not what we're talking about. We're really talking about the sort of what some people would call the softer areas, although I think that's untrue because those are actually the harder things to maneuver. But the 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 counseling role of finding what the client wants and really serving their goals, that's where I think we can, we can kind of learn from thinking about this concept. Because I do think that, and one of the things when I'm training younger attorneys particularly, and I remember this from a negotiation competition all the way back in law school where the client came in and said, you know, they had the client came in and said, we want this. Or, you know, a real life one is I remember a client, a client and a spouse coming in wanting to talk about asset protection. And if I were newer at what I do, I would have just gone down the asset protection and started talking about that. But I started picking up these things that one of the clients was saying, now, it's my understanding that, like, you know, if we put some assets in each of our names and then we later got divorced, and I'm like, going, oh, wait a minute. So I went and I grabbed, you know what I didn't? I just forgot before I walked in to have you sign this conflict of interest waiver <laughs> since your husband <laughs> and wife in case you, like, you know. And, like, a couple months later, uh, I got notice of a divorce. And I'm like, going, oh, that, that wasn't about estate planning. So sometimes people come in and talk about what they think they want. And then sometimes we as lawyers will not pick that up. And then the other thing is, I think some lawyers, instead of really listening to the objective and saying, you know, um, it, it, some, sometimes it's like, this is what I know. I know how to do trust type X. So I'm going to try and make it fit this set of facts when what we really have to do right. is say, hey, look, and you know, like Jonathan Blotmacher is one of the great ones at listening to that and saying, oh, look, there's a hundred ways to do this that are within the bounds of the laws. And let's take a look at that. And then, by the way, if the laws change, it's like, okay, well, we're going to redo this, right? We have a different way to think about right. it. But so right. Right. how can we kind of look at this both and concept? Like, so your point is, as lawyers, here's the rule of law. But these are people and we're dealing with death, taxes, money, family. It's a super, super personal so I always say and went back and got some counseling credits because I'm like, I just feel like I really need to have a counselor in the room. Right. Well, and I think that that sort of gets more into the, um, oh, I don't want to call it self-help, but the sort of professional mindset, how you can apply this to your kind of life as a professional and just in your life in general. You know, I think we we have this tendency to think like, 
I have to know the law and, you know, down cold and my clients are going to come to me and they're going to expect me to just spout off, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z for you. Um, I think that we have to recognize that we can both be experts and be knowledgeable in our field and recognize that there are times, you know, have the power, the ability to, to, say, okay, this is something I'm going to have to think about or I'm going to have to do some more research on this or I'd like to talk to a colleague about this in order to get the best solution. You know, we don't always have to have the right answer on the spot. Um, and I think that's, that's sometimes hard for us as lawyer types <laughs> to, uh, to recognize. Yeah, and I, I just have to highlight that point because I think that's so important. And I, I thought of this earlier when we were recording that one of the both-and issues is that you want to spend the time with a client, get to know who they are. I always feel like a client would be best served if I had five or six people in the room because we all have our different lenses and perspectives through which Mm. we've seen things. And, but that's not the way our model works. People want to keep the cost of the bill down, sometimes look at it as a form. And so that's partly a matter of talking about what our real role in guiding you through this process is so that, but one of the both ends is this kind of competing thing like people want to pay as little as possible for a process that is yeah. about life, death, and how can we get both in there? Right. Well, and that really gets to the heart of what we do at Interactive Legal and what a lot of legal services companies are doing now is um, this this notion, I'm, I'm always saying this, you know, we're, we live in an age where legal services are becoming increasingly DIY. There's more and more technology to automate it, to make it, you know, so that people can go out and create their own legal documents. And that's understand. I mean, that's the world that we live in. That's what people want. And obviously there are reasons that in the legal profession, we, our natural inclination is to fight that. I mean, one, it's our livelihood, but it's, it's also, we, we truly don't believe that's, what's best for people in, in a lot of circumstances, you know, there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of factors that go into things. And we, we want to make sure that people are getting, are, are getting the best service and getting what they want. And so I think it fits into this concept of don't, don't fight it. Right. It's not either, you know, you're going to have this automation, this, uh, technology, this DIY type technology, or we're going to have the traditional legal model. There's a way in which we can have both, right? And so the more that you have legal technology companies coming up like us that um, serve the the lawyer, right? Our, our customers are lawyers who use our system to draft documents for their clients. And there are other, you know, legal technology companies that are business to business like we are. Um, that's a way that you can kind of have both. You can have the tools for efficiency that the clients are looking for, you know, efficiency and automation, but still also provide, be providing that good professional service. Well, and my way of dealing with that is I don't sell documents, right? That, that is like, um, not that it's the least important part of what I do, but what I tell clients, and I actually break this out in my billing. The first thing when you come to see me is we'll, I'm going to bill you for an intake analysis and recommendations. 
has nothing to do with the documents because the most value I have is that I've done thousands and thousands of estate plans. I've taken clients through all kinds of crazy situations. I've had clients who have kids and grandkids who have been murdered and domestic violence and drugs, alcohol, all of that. And so you're not going to get that from logging into LegalZoom or anything like that, somebody who's got that experience. So I actually break that out. And then... When it comes to the document portion, I say, well, the most important thing is discussing what goes in the documents and why, Mm -hmm. not actually drafting the documents, because they all think they're just templates now, right? So I just absolutely shift any of my comments or thoughts about that away from the documents. Well, I'm kind of at the end of our time today, Vanessa, so I just want to ask if you have any last thoughts. Um, well, just that it was great to have this conversation with you. And, um, you know, I think my, my final thought would just be, um, that this concept of the both and I think can be helpful to us in sort of finding, uh, a little bit of work-life balance and a little bit of peace in, in the crazy professional world that we're often in, you know, we can, I tend to do this. I think it's either, you know, I'm either working hard or I'm slacking off and I'm trying to be better about realizing that, you know, sometimes taking a break is actually doing what I need to do to be a better professional because I need that rest and I need that um, time to recharge so that I can come back and be more engaged and, and better at what I do. So I think this concept of the both and, you know, we can be both committed to our work and committed to our jobs and take time for ourselves and take the the time to rest that we need. Um, You know, we, it's hard to realize that a lot of times, but I think there are a lot of applications um, that in our lives that if we just kind of use it to me, it's a framework. It's a framework for looking at things and it might kind of help us find a little bit of peace and a little bit more balance in our lives. So what I'd like to do is have us do a follow-up podcast on that for one of our well-being episodes and talk about it strictly in that context if we can. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. I want to thank you for being here today. And that's all for now. I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal and Carson Wealth. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.